Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. So welcome back to the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Nick Carman. This evening, I'm joined by David Kosky, co-founder of co-working business WorkLife. Now, co-founders David and Elliot started WorkLife in 2015 because they believe everyone should feel happy in their work lives. And now, WorkLife is made up of 15 co-working spaces with 19 projected by the end of this year and over 6,000 members. So David, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Well, let's get started. Tell us where chapter one begins for you. Chapter one, I would say, began actually while I was at school. I was very, very lucky that when I was at school, I had, whether it's the luck or design, I spent my summers doing really interesting work experiences and, and tapping my network to get those opportunities. And the one that really stuck was I got a a work experience opportunity at an asset management business um, when I was probably about 17, which I did for six weeks in the summer. And it was there I ended up actually getting off. When I came out of university, I got offered um, my first job at that business. Well, go on, tell us more. Tell us what this, what this first, first gig was. I left university doing a degree which was not really relevant to anything. I think the majority, a lot of people, less so in property, a lot of people go and do property-specific degrees. I didn't start in real estate. Uh, and so I probably like two-thirds of people that leave uni don't, you know, don't study anything which is vocational or, or leads to a particular career. And I thought you were going to say two-thirds of people go into recruitment, which I think is pretty accurate. I think a lot more. <laughs> It's a good industry, isn't it? Good business. Nice people in there. Um, and I got, I remember I finished university. I planned a whole trip to go traveling. And I was sort of the one quarterbacking it and coordinating it. And we're drawing up exactly where we're going to go. Uh, and then I got called in to, uh, called in by the, 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 the owner of this asset management business who I'd done work experience with. Really nice guy. Got on really well with him. And he, just before we started, we were going to pay for, uh, and I, I, I kept, the important point is I actually kept in touch with him, um, you know, throughout summers at university. And just as we were going to book this trip, I got a call for him, went into his office and he said, uh, don't go traveling. Would you like to come and work for me? And I was like, yeah, well, that sounds really interesting. I, I would love to, but I, let's do it when I'm back. So I planned this whole trip. He's like, well, what if I tell you the first, uh, you're going to be moving out to Miami for your first job? And uh, I thought about it, not for too long, and I decided, you know, that's a pretty hard offer to turn down. And so I, I packed my bags, told, told my friends I wasn't going to go traveling with them. And uh, about a month later, I was on a plane to Miami working for this asset management business. So just as, as a sort of... Um... Uh, a recap, because it's been a pretty pretty breakneck sort of speed starts this career, David. And so you start off in asset management. Is this is this real estate or is this this um, personal finance? Not real estate, exactly. There was a real estate part of the business, but no, this was a, a institutional asset management firm dealing with you know uh, diversified investment portfolios for ultra high net worth families and individuals so so i was not on the real estate side it was i started in the hedge fund side of the business and then uh, and then focused on dealing with um larger families so go on tell us what you learned about yourself in those very early stages of that career 
learned about myself. Well, you know what? I was very, 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 very lucky. And because I had lots of friends that went to join big businesses and, you know, they were climbing the ladder, starting in the junior position. I really had a very, I had a baptism of fire. So I worked with the owner of the business who was an incredible, incredible salesman. And I made, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount for him from him, but he was hard. He was old school and hard work. And it was, I mean, I've got lots of very funny stories, but, you know, he really did throw me in the deep end. And I remember for the first, well, for the first, I can give you lots of good examples, but one, one funny example that springs to mind is we're in Chicago and I planned this whole trip uh, for us where we're going to meet lots of, you know, introducers and potential people. And I, and I planned this whole thing. And day one, I was, we got into the, got into the cab he had his way of doing stuff, which was like, you're professional, you have, you're clean shaven before you come to a meeting, you know, you wear black shoes only, not brown shoes, uh, you know, you've got to look the part, you've got to have your pad, your notepad, the right pen. And I remember I had all of those things, but when he said, Lord, let me, sh- let me see the pen you're using, I pulled out like a, a whole thing of biros. Uh, versus like a, pro- a proper pen that he wanted me to use. I remember suddenly like the door opened of this cab. It wasn't going very fast, but it was like a gen- gently moving. And, and he pushed me out of the car and said, you're not coming to any meetings until you get your pen, um, which was, and I remember I called my mum, because it was my first job, and I was like, mum, this guy is nuts. But ultimately he was right. You know, he wanted me to be really, really professional. Um, I'm not sure I would have handled it the same way, but it, uh, the interesting thing is I, I always took a, the right pen from that point onwards. And so I learned a huge amount and he gave me, uh, I was very, very lucky because he gave me a lot of his time. And then Daniel, the guy who I worked for, was incredible that uh, he used to love employing young people and help give, you know, and work with them to give them a career. And he put a huge amount of time and investment into the people he hired. And I was lucky enough that I was literally like his right, right hand man. And we built an incredible, credible bond together. And it was a real learning curve. You know, you go from a boy where even if you, you know, and I've done lots of work experience and I've always thought I could, you know, chat and engage with adults, even from that young age. But what Daniel really, what I learned about myself was, and what I got that, you know, how to be a professional, how to, uh, how to be a professional, how to conduct meetings, how to sit in meetings, you know, it's all stuff that you're not really taught, uh, how, how to, you know, how to build good rapports with people, how to incentivize people to want to work with you. And a lot of the stuff I do today is really second nature. And it's all really drilled into me from that very, very young age, you know, and I was getting... <laughs> I've got hundreds, hundreds of funny stories, but you know, it was like I'd be, you know, we were in the office for seven o'clock, but we'd be working late because he wanted to do it. You know, uh, if you didn't come in clean shaven, you'd have to shave. And, you know, and it was uh, at times difficult, but it taught, it taught me a lot to be how to be professional, a lot to how to sell because he was a fantastic salesman, even though around the business, that was the core, you know, what he did. He was a great salesman and growing the business. Uh, and it really taught me how to have very thick skin and not to take stuff personally. The beginning, I was like, I, I took a lot of this stuff personally. It really got to me. Uh, and then eventually, it really, it, I clocked on that, right? He actually is trying to 
teach me in his mind the best way to do stuff and I didn't always agree with the stuff he did but you know I look at the way I interact in business today and especially how I am like with people and he was an amazing people person and people really trusted him and trust is I think just such a key thing in business you know people only want to do business with people they like and Daniel I worked with was very very charismatic and likable he taught me a lot it taught me a lot but mostly how you ask what does it teach me about myself not to take things personally uh, to be open to learning I think it's so important you realize that when you're joining a starting career yeah actually to really find someone that's willing to teach you and you can learn from is incredibly valuable uh, and I was very very lucky to have that as a for a first first role at this this point, I think it's a good segue then to bring in a, bit, a little bit of the research, David. So I did speak to someone who knew you very well in those early stages, and he did explain that one of your real strengths in this early stage was that despite being a very young guy in this sort of high net worth, ultra high net worth world, you had an incredible ability to open any door and to start a conversation with anybody, and they. Uh, observed this was a real talent and I've got to agree with it and I think a lot of people listen to this who are in the very earliest stages of their career whether they're an apprentice or a graduate having that confidence to to speak to customers is a tricky skill so is there anything you could say about about that that would help someone benefit from that experience definitely I think it helps how you're wired right I mean I've I've always been confident to speak to people I think the, look, the reality is business is all about people and, you know, the senior, the most senior, senior people, they're, they're still a person. And I think the thing I was lucky that I had naturally was that I wasn't scared to reach out to people. I was, I was happy to speak to people on, on the phone and, and I learned pretty early on that the worst people can say is no. <laughs> and more often than not, if you ask them, in a nice way and have you convey that there's something mutually beneficial to speak about then you know the nine not nine times out of ten whatever the number is but you know you, you you tend to be able to get in front of the people that you want to speak to but some people are scared so you know don't have that confidence to interact I've, I've luckily i've never had that and it's a hard one to teach i don't know how you teach it i think it's just something you've got to drop yourself in the deep end on uh, but also it's something you can work on. You know, for example, when I, this is what I didn't say, day one of my, who Adam who you spoke to, he didn't say, day one of my uh, of my new, my job, I got put into a meeting the top, in the Empire State Building, I just remember last, and I knew nothing about any of it. No matter what confidence world, I knew absolutely nothing about what I was talking about. And I got sent in to pitch, run a presentation with these hedge fund consultants, and it was an absolute disaster. And afterwards, my boss at the time was like, look, this is good. I wanted to do that to you. I was like, why did you send me in there? Because you knew it was going to be an absolute car crash. And he was like, well, I wanted to show you the feeling of being like what unprepared feels like. And we're going to work together on your presentation skills, how to prepare, and to make sure when you go into these presentations, you know, you're good at what you do. And so there's lots, you know, I think it's all about practice. But, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky, I suppose, I've never had that fear. I mean, I've always, for example, when I was younger, I've always been happy and enjoy chatting to older people, finding out what they do for business. It's just the way my mind ticks. Well, let, let's get back onto, uh, onto the career journey. So 
tell us a little bit more sort of how how those sort of early chapters in, in Miami how that sort of developed as the as your career uh, matured I'll, I'll keep it to the professional bits I'm assuming <laughs> despite the research you've done um so what is, we started so I spent two uh, best part of 12 to 18 months in the US and really great experience I, I basically sat on a U.S. family office, so we were raising. You know, my my role was fundraising, uh, and spent two years uh, learning how to sell to big institutions, and you know, ultra high net worth families. And I was very very lucky. Travelled, you know, that was based in Miami, but was doing trips all around America, which was great fun and and uh, an amazing experience. At you know, at twenty one, wherever old I was, and then the financial crash happened. My boss moved back to London to sort of shore up the business. And so that was sort of the end of my US adventure. Uh, and then I came back to London and spent the next five years in London, stayed at the same business, in the same role, but grew, you know, grew in the role uh, and responsibility. It was really focused in London on, but became a sort of associate director of the business uh, and uh, saw that progression within a role. Until I got to the point where I decided, well, a few things happened that we can talk about, but I decided that now, if I'm ever going to move on, now now is the right time. So just to put that all into context around when was it? So I finished uni in 2018. So I spent seven years at this asset management business and, or maybe a bit earlier. And anyway, about 2015 is when I left and, and got into real estate. So it begs the question now, David. Given what you've done so far, you've now you've know, you've you've committed seven years then of, uh, of your career to to one industry. We know where you where you end up today. So tell us a bit about the spark. What was the you know what was the the idea then to to do something for yourself and in more importantly within real estate? Yeah, well, I think doing something for myself it, that came first before that entrepreneurial thinking came first before uh, you know doing it in real estate um what happened so I, I came to the point where I was 27 still young and my boss completely right was trying to team me up to really progress in that in you know the asset management industry and for me it didn't excite me I got to the point where on Sundays, and I just had a great setup there. I was earning good money and I had really, you know, really good prospects. They were keen for me to, Daniel ran the business, you know, I know they were keen for me to get more involved with that and grow in the business. And it got to the point where on Sundays I was not looking forward to going to work. Uh, I wasn't necessarily finding it challenging, engaging. So we were doing fundraising, like, you know, we had lots of success as a team, and was, uh, I wasn't um, wasn't particularly engaged anymore. And like lots of people, I had, I knew I, what I realised was actually, you know, and I love working with Daniel, the guy I work with. But what I realised was what I really enjoyed was actually working with him, thinking strategically about running and growing a business versus actually the day to day job of managing people's money. So that was already in my mind, and then I had, then we had ended up having a, a bit of a fallout around a bonus. So the one thing, so my 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 DNA as a salesperson never liked discretionary bonuses, right? And lots of the, obviously in your business, Nick, people are the same, right? They like to eat what they kill, as they say. 
and we were always on discretionary bonuses despite and and I remember the last year I said look I really can't be on discretionary bonus this year I need to have some clarity as to what um, you know if we hit certain targets what it's going to be I remember we sat down and agreed a bonus and based on targets nothing in writing but it was like a handshake and we were very close I thought it was uh, and, and then, anyway, long, long story short, we hit the targets. We didn't get the bonus. I didn't get the bonus. I thought, uh, and that was really the catalyst. I just thought to myself, you know, I have to be in control of my own destiny. It just didn't sit right with me, and it, you know, that sort of was the catalyst. And and like I said, I already had this entrepreneurial bug, and handed my notice in. It wasn't that. It was de- very very difficult. My parents thought I was absolutely bonkers. My dad is a lawyer, and a, you know, it's a career man. But look, I ultimately, and I, and I left not knowing what I wanted to do, but knowing that I'm confident and I'm, you know, I'm confident in my own abilities and I'm, I was young enough to do it. I didn't have any, I didn't have any dependencies and I knew if I was, if there's ever, ever the time to do it, you know, that was the point. I mean, you tell, you tell the story really well, David, and I appreciate the, the honesty there as well. But myself, and I'm sure anyone and listening here is saying, so it's all, it's all very well then, you know, having having the push to say, right, sort of disgruntled, sort of something's not gone right in the past. It obviously pushed you then to set something up on your own, right? And be your, be your own boss. Yeah. But for many, it wouldn't, would it? And, and it would just, it would just push them to go somewhere else. So, you know, what was it about the, about the having your own business? Honestly, I didn't give it too much thought. I know that's a funny thing to say. I just always, I, I always knew I wanted to work for myself. I think I've, I've not struggled with hierarchy because I've been able to, you know, talk to the top of the hierarchy. But it's it's just I can't I can't explain. It's just I, I always felt that I was going to go down this path at some point. Okay. I felt it was in my DNA to do it. And I think for a lot of people, it's not right. You have to have a certain that running a business is tough. You know, you don't have any of the security that you have for a job. You have a lot more stress if you're founding a business. You know, you can obviously join a startup business, but if you're actually the founder and you're worrying about growing it, funding it, paying people, you know, you take a, it takes a certain personality to do it. And I know lots of my friends, I think, you know, we talk about it often and just some of them are not cut out to do it. But I don't really have a, a great answer for you other than I, I knew it, you know, it was in my DNA that I wanted to, try and set something up by myself also knowing that throughout if i if it didn't work i could always go back to to asset management well i, th- I think there's something in that we, maybe we'll come back to that but of the people who come on this this pod and people who make out like making tough decisions comes quite easy to them there is something in how you evaluate those risks you do that in a slightly different way than sort of joe blogs from the street but we'll, we'll maybe come back to that so go on um tell us then about you know, we've talked about why why a self start business, right? We've talked about sort of why why sort of being self employed was was going to be exciting. But tell us a bit about how sort of how you settled on the idea of what of what that business was going to be and how I ended up in real estate. Yeah, despite all my friends in real estate telling me it wasn't going to work, which is funny. <laughs> uh, we're now doing business with. I I remind them that uh, why re- so that I spent the next six months really traveling around. I took a bit of time out. I spent the next six months really looking at ideas, and I literally was it was a blank canvas. So I was I had a flat that I rented. I moved into my parents. I remember I met my my now wife. I was 
uh, like three dates in, I like pulled up and we went out for dinner and I said, uh, we're chatting at dinner and I told her what I'd done. I <laughs> told, uh, I'd had in my notes in. She, God, God knows what she thought. And I spent the next six months really looking at ideas and then met my business partner who was in a similar circumstance. He'd been at PwC and worked for a few other businesses, but really it's like, uh, was in a very similar position to me at the same time. And we started chatting through different ideas and we kept on coming back to the office and, you know, uh, hospitality in the office. And I think we spent a lot of, we spent some time looking at hotels and we could just see that hotels is a really mature market uh, and operational real estate and hotels, really mature market, you know, landlords partner with great brands, brands deliver an experience to occupiers it's a cash generative business. It's not a tech startup. Um, we could see that office was going to go there and uh, that if you built a really strong brand with a really key USP for landlords, because at the, the, the time and up until now, um, we were asset light. We weren't buying buildings. We thought there's an opportunity to build a, a, a really good brand and platform that can be a value add to landlords we can grow it capex light you know partner with landlords who would want us an operator in their buildings and really build a cash generative business and this was sort of at the time where we work was really starting to grow less so in london but we we're looking at them in new york and we went to see some of the stuff in israel and it was one of the ideas that we we just progressed more than others. We had some chats, a chat with an initial our initial who ended up being our initial landlord, and sort of you know it was a bit chicken and egg. We went to the investors and with a business plan and saying, look, we've located our first building. We went to the the landlord and said, look, we've got the investors. We had neither at the time. We put it all together, <laughs> and 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 before we knew it, that we had the money, you know the first bit of money raised, and we're still we're working with all those investors today. And and um, our first landlord, who was still a chap called David, who's a great guy, and we're still um, we're still doing business with today. So again, it's, this sparks an idea of mine, so that David. Everyone's very familiar, right, with co-working now, but it's 2023, 2015. I don't I don't know in terms of how familiar people were. So tell us how how Wild West was was co-working flex flexible spaces back in 2015. Well. Service offices and co-working sort of the evolution of service offices that have been around for 20, 30 years. So people, landlords were familiar with it, but it was still a very hard slog to get land. It was still a market and a, a world where landlords were uh, wanted 10-year leases from, you know, AAA covenants and were uh, nervous around doing stuff with flex operators and I remember speaking to, you know, my agent friends at the time when I told them I was doing it, uh, was setting this up and they said, look, it's going to be really tough, really, really tough. Um, and at the beginning it was. I think the market has moved on uh, substantially since then. And now, you know, we're in a world where uh, flex is really becoming institutionalised. You know, you've got big, big landlords doing it, um, lots of institutional money flowing into it. Absolutely. But, I mean, you know, flex is popping up into everybody's job title, right? Flex is, yes. It's the office market. When you look at other asset classes, a lot of them have become operational. And, and same for office now. 
the real like, the, the reason these big institutions are getting into it is because they know to drive the returns now they need you know they have to opera, operationalize their um, their assets and we've seen that in hotels we've seen that in self storage there's loads of other asset classes which are um, further ahead from a you know a valuation standpoint but offices have sort of been the last bastion of ten year leases and that post covid is is dwindling and we know that 35 percent of london is sub 5k floor plates and they're only getting two-year leases and so now they're really at parity from a, a lease like you know, to to flex licenses so it's been a big change but what was it like at the beginning it was a tough slog for sure i think landlords were had been burnt by other operators and weren't really and it changed quite quickly but they weren't really thinking that flex should be an amenity in their buildings um it was, but that that actually did change quite quickly over the next couple of years. Okay, let me bring in then a bit more of our research, David. So oh. again, I, I spoke to someone else who knew you at this this quite early stage of of work life. So I asked them, you know, what comes to mind when they think of David, and this is this is what they said: He's like a dog with a bone. When he sees an opportunity, he is incredibly tenacious, and that that got me thinking. About was that, sort of was that a compliment, by the way. I'm yeah, not... absolutely. Absolutely, it was. It was said. Yeah, apology for my tone suggested it wasn't, but it no. was. Um, it was absolutely a compliment. But it got me thinking as to whether have have you ever got fixated on something that was the wrong thing? And I, yeah, sort of what I'm what I'm getting at here is 2015. You know, yeah. your mates who do have the experience in real estate are telling you this ain't going to work or this is going to be really difficult. Yeah. Why did you, when you have, like say, you've got that blank sheet of paper, why yeah. is that the baton you chose to run with? It's a very good question. The one thing that I always do is trust my gut. I don't know it sounds like a, an overused term, but I really do. It's like the, um, I trust my instincts with stuff. I think it's really important that you trust your instincts. We obviously took on board everything that was said, which is why the strategy that we ended, we ended up going down was really a value-add strategy for landlords, which separated us. It made it a different conversation that was more in our favour and we were providing value to landlords. So it definitely informed it. But, number, but yeah, number one, we trust our gut. And then why did we end up getting into it? It's because I think uh, this idea gained the most momentum, I imagine, is probably a start, one, of, one of the key factors. You know, we managed to line this up first we were looking at a few different things but but um but yeah i think it was a mixture of those those two things i mean i definitely took on board what people were saying and i think elements of what they've said were right but i think we trust we trusted our instincts that we could grow it and make it work i just want to ask a question about um elliot now that's your your yeah. co-founder are you two are you two similar uh i'd like to hear his answer to this no i don't think we are similar okay we're very different so what made you two stick together then in, the, in those very early days? Because you know, there's, there's nothing that ties you together, right? There's, nothing no. Good, there's no reason as to why you guys need to stick together in, in this. You know, this is one of the things I find really fascinating about sort of founders is that often they're not best buds at the very outset. There's, not, there's, there's just something intangible that means these guys stick together. Why was it for you, why was it for you two? I think it was good that we weren't, there wasn't anything that tied us too heavy, too closely together at that point because business is tough and, you know, it's easy to get, you know, it's stressful sometimes. And sometimes I've got friends who run their businesses with their best mate and they get on amazingly. But I think it's helpful that Elliot and I 
we socialise, but not heavily outside of work. Although obviously we've learned, you know, we're now good. We worked for a long time. You know, we've got we're we're we're, we're very close. Uh, what's what tied us together? I think, and what made us a good team is very complementary skill sets. So I was very focused on you know the business development side, the growth side. You know, I'm macro in terms of my not detail orientated, and so I was good on the you know on the landlord front and growing the business. Uh, and, and Elliot is very smart guy, um, very detail orientated, very passionate about growing a business and team, and you know really getting the best out of the team and building a great business for our employees to work in. Um, and so those two complementary skill sets is we found very very helpful. I asked you a question um, at the very start of this pod about what you learnt about yourself in those early days of, of employment. Same question again. What did you learn about yourself in these very early days then of, of work life? That's an interesting one. What have I learned? I, I've probably learned I'm slightly more cautious than I think, than I, ha- I did think previously. And you asked also a question about what mistakes and stuff, didn't you? So we can come on to that because there's, there's definitely been a few good ones in real estate that we can, that I think are relevant for people. Uh, what, did, what did I learn? Well, I learned that I've got, like I said, thick skin. It was, it has been, and always it will be stressful running a business. And my ability to shut that off and sort of compartmentalize work and not take it home or get obsessed by it, I think I'm happy. I, I, I don't think you can necessarily work in it. I think you've either got to, you know, you can either do that, or you can't. I grew up with a, a dad who definitely couldn't do that. Um, uh, and maybe that aided me. But so I learned, yeah, so that was a, a key thing which I was lucky that I could do. What was your, sort of your earliest limitations? Uh, loads of them, like loads of them. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and that's why me and Elliot were great at the time because Elliot, Elliot had more experience growing, you know, being um, obviously management consultant. Loads of things, finance, P and Ls, balance sheets, you know, a million and one things that are corporate structure. Yeah, the, uh, and you take it for granted now. That for me, that's it's, you know, that's the best. It's the best learning you'll get running a business because you realise how little you know. Uh, I, so the the majority of stuff about day to day running of a business I didn't know. So I'm very grateful that I had a partner that uh, there were a bit most you know between us both we had a bit covered and there was obviously bits we learned together. Um, but yeah, it's a real like I've used the term before it's a real baptism of fire, and it's easy to make mistakes. We definitely made mistakes. Now, one of the reasons I was looking forward to to the interview, David, is that. You've got a job that I think is probably some of the most admired of of all the jobs in real estate. You're the guy who started something for himself. And there's lots of people who think, I would love to do that. And yeah. there's there's almost as many people who who thinks I couldn't do that. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what's the reality like of, of running your own real estate business? I personally couldn't think of anything better to be doing than running my own business. 
And I, I think, look, the people, the two, you hit this with the nail on the head, there's two types of people. There's people that want to do it. And at some point, they probably will do it if they want to do it. And they, they are, if they've got the desire to do it, then that's the starting point. And there, there are people which I think is completely, there's nothing, you know, it's completely correct if they're thinking, look, this isn't something I want to do. Uh, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think being, everyone looks at founders, like you said, you know, a lot of people think with admiration, there's a lot to be said with working for a, a big business and doing well and, and being able, you know, being able to, to to turn your laptop off at the end of the day and, and go home. But look, for me, I love working uh, for myself and work and being, like I said, being controlled of my own destiny. And but doing it in real estate has been great. I mean, re- re- the, the best thing about real estate is it's a it's a people's business, and I love that because I like I, I enjoy building strong relationships with people. I think. As I said earlier, I think the biggest lesson I learned from my first job is people only do people only do business. There's loads of smart people out there. I mean, that's it. You're never going to be the smartest, but if you are someone that you're professional, you're, people trust you and people like you. I think you know those are pretty good ingredients for you to be successful, or you know, have a better chance of being successful in real estate. Because the reality is, it's very much people's business, and I, I, that's an environment I like, and so. You know, we have. I'm lucky enough to have a job where a lot of it is very social and and uh, people orientated. Okay, so that leads me into quite nice then to the something else I wanted to ask you about. And there's a bit, a bit, it's a bit of looking backwards, a bit and look forwards on this one. So, I wanted to ask you, you know, what was the greatest challenge? Was it the first site, or is it now the the tenth site? Mm, well, probably along the way. Now, the first one is obviously setting up the business is obviously the, the the first challenge. But we've had lots of challenges along the way, like loads. You know, it's there's running a business is you, you dealing with funding and X Y Z. There's loads of different challenges. COVID was a big challenge. You know, we had to that that was challenging from our team's perspective. Obviously, from our sector's perspective, very 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 challenging and we did you know we obviously got through it but that was um was tough uh, but there's definitely different challenges you know i think when you're starting a business and a bit, for me it's been a really interesting thing is you know from starting the business the two of us and i you know, elliot and i would be on the front desk and doing the tours for people in our first space in camden to now scaling a business where you've got a leadership team you know manager level and and you're not doing that necessarily day to day that's an adjustment and I'm quite and for me personally I like to uh, I like to do things myself because uh, I've always done that direct sales role it's been an you know an interesting change and adjustment for me and probably for for both of us but I think if you run your own business you always there's always going to be challenges and you're consistently hustling right you know you're you're weaving and moving and weaving and diving and um and and i we enjoy that i like I, we enjoy creative problem solving and seeing opportunities and going after them so i saw a great thing on linkedin the other day around uh, well, a while ago where it's like people think you know that what people think a business is and they just think it's like this a slowly inclining you know upward curve of a line and they don't realize actually what it's like is more like you know snakes and ladders you know it's swiggly line up down up down blah, blah, blah. and it, like anything in life it's all about persistence right positivity just getting on with it and and being persistent all right david so 
I just wanted to interject now because I've got a question then from our audience. So let me play this for you. Hi, my name is Kelly. I would like to ask your guest how they recover from a big setback. What do you make of that from Kelly? I think it's a good question, Kelly. But I think there's two things. I think I talked about it earlier. For me, compartmentalising work and not taking it too personally means that, number one, you know, a setback in work doesn't spill into my personal life. And two, because it's because of that, really, if it's a set, whatever happens, I suppose you just, all you can do is not worry about stuff. Worry is sort of a wasted emotion and amount of energy and just focus on, number one, problem solving, because obviously a setback has happened and that's what it is. You just need to move forward. And also I think that what I find helpful is to try and, you know, analyse and critically analyse what, why you've had that setback, if it's a, whatever it is, a deal didn't happen, a sale didn't happen, really try and learn from it, but not taking it too personally because work is only so important, right? There's more to, more to life than work. Okay. Now, before we wrap up, you know, we couldn't talk about co-working spaces without mentioning WeWork. So uh, i got to ask you a question. You know, is, the, is the co-working space, is operational offices as a sector is it bigger than we work definitely although uh, what's happened to we work will, will make an impact i think short term but there definitely will be an impact yeah i think the um what, what can we say about we work uh, we work done a huge amount to push this industry forward and push landlords thinking forward you know, uh, to, to, you know, they've definitely made an impact on us and other operators. And I think they've done it that, you know, what they did uh, would really evolve the industry very, very quickly. But ultimately, we work, it's a good example where they grew too fast and too aggressively. And real estate, whatever you're doing, you have to get the, you know, you've got to get the foundations of the real estate right. And we think about the businesses like, two parts, right? There's the foundation, which is the real estate deal you're doing, either you're buying the building or leasing the building or management agreement, whatever that foundation is. Uh, and then you've got the hospitality service side of it. I think the um, the issue for WeWork has been that their, obviously their funding arrangement wasn't great, but it was more that they, they had a shaky foundation of expensive real estate with high break-evens and, and buildings that they took on just for growth uh, and it, they've obviously got un- unstuck by it. So it's a shit. I mean, it's definitely going to have an impact and it's all happening quite quickly, but is, is the sector bigger than we were? Definitely. So what's the future for the sector? I think offices are going operational and then there'll be, like I said, 35, I mean, take London as a market, 35% of London is sub 5k floor plates. Those are all, you know, all of those occupiers at that level want fitted space and most of them will want service space. Lease lengths, of, you saw there was an article in Financial Times, lease lengths are at the shortest ever. The, the days of going five, 10 year leases are gone on the smaller space. And I think we're now going to see offices like hotels being an institutional, you know, serviced office space, uh, like hotels, like self-storage, et cetera, you know, institutionally accepted operational asset class and the valuers are going to start changing the way they value buildings to be more around cash flow versus 
lease length and covenant for a, for a, a you know part of the market. So I think the market will, will grow substantially beyond whatever happens with WeWork. That's where demand's growing, and they're definitely it's definitely going to have an impact. And I think it's for a number of landlords now. You know, it's going to leave a very bad taste because they've got a lot of real estate that's going to be handed back. But the long-term trajectory, I don't for for flex and sort of uh, serviced office space, I think is uh, won't be impacted by what's happened to WeWork. Well, David, I've got to wrap it up there. But thank you so much for sharing this story, full of sort of very honest feedback about what it's really like to uh, to run your own business. And it is always fascinating to, to hear from someone who's a, who is a sort of a non-native who've moved into real estate and chosen this as as their chosen field. I think it gives everyone who who is in this industry you know a lot a lot to think about from that different perspective. So thank you again. My pleasure. And what I would say, anyone who's look, I think real estate is a great sector to be entrepreneurial in because I think it's a lot of the a lot of the market is dominated by you know the big institutional players that are slowly adjusting to changes in the market and I think there's lots of opportunities to disrupt in this market uh, and to be innovative and I think for those the group of people that you alluded to earlier that were you know had that bug to do something I think real estate is a a really great sector to do it in and yeah wish them wish them all the best and I think you know if they've got that bug they should they should do it.